Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's good to have you along for the ride today. We have a very interesting hour ahead here. And then coming up in the last half hour of the program, 90 minutes of uh, daily release. It's the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Uh, this week, we are a three-man crew, Bob Duco, uh, Neil Boron, and yours truly, and talking about the election, talking about what's happening all across the country. And, and I encourage you, we recorded this yesterday. We record every uh, Wednesday morning at about 7.30, oh, dark 30 for me, <laughs> 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific AM. And then it gets posted later in the day, and you can see the video at myhopenow.com. And it, it's it's actually, it's kind of fun to watch all of us get busy and get into it. And um, this week we talk about the election, of course, because this is the last podcast we'll have before this next Tuesday. And then next week on the Crawford Roundtable, we'll be kind of uh, licking our wounds or maybe celebrating some victories, depending on what happens. But the reason I, I really want to encourage you to listen to this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is the fact that uh, we're all in blue states, all four of us, and there's a lot of progressive, liberal ideology weirdness happening on the political level. But what makes this a very interesting discussion, Neil, of course, is a, uh, a lifelong New Yorker, as far as I understand, and uh, Bob, a Michigander, me, a lifelong Californian. We are looking at some things that, you know, oftentimes the midterms are where there's local elections, different propositions, things of that nature. But as people have been pushing toward this whole globalization thing and people have been wondering are things starting to line up behind the scenes as it pertains to uh you know the the end times spiritual prophecy this that and the other thing this year's election kind of caught us all uh looking at the the propositions the different candidates and realizing that we really are being kind of separated into one of two camps you know i know at judgment Jesus said, basically, I'm going to have, the, we'll have the, the sheep on my right, the goats on my left. I mean, there's, there's going to be a, at, at the final accounting, there's the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares, where uh, you, you remember that story where Jesus talks about how there was a farmer who planted a crop, and then the next day one of his rivals came and planted some tares in and around the crop, the, the, the wheat and the weeds, if you will. And once the, uh, the workers discover that this has taken place, they want to go out and they want to weed the field. And and get rid of the bad crop for the good crop. And, and again, the tares themselves aren't necessarily bad. It's just they're going to choke out the actual crop. And so what Jesus says in the parables, the farmer says, no, 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 we're going to let everything grow. And then when it's harvest time, we're going to harvest all of it. And then we're going to separate. And so I think many of us have taken comfort in the fact that when it comes to the world that we're living in, the world that we're inhabiting, um, even though there's evil in the world, even though there are plenty of good people who I believe are good godly people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and are, are literally walking among uh, those in society as a, a way to be a means of grace. I don't know that we have ever seen a time where it seemed like the evil was as organized and syncretized as it were. I, I think about George Barna, who's going to join me on election day next week. We've already, we were talking yesterday about the things we'll be discussing with regard to what most Americans want in the election. And, and one of the things that he's found in his American value survey is that about 80% of Americans, regardless of your political ideologies, regardless of where you are in the faith component, about 80% of Americans really do all want the same thing. They want the opportunities for their families. They want safety and security. They want an opportunity to grow and prosper and thrive. And it's amazing how all these years of secularism and wokeism and things of that nature really have not diminished the spirit 
of what people really hope for in this country. Now, obviously, not everyone's had the same opportunity in this country, but we still have the same hopes and dreams. And I think that reflects our creator so perfectly. God made us in his image. Male and female, he created us. Those are the two options, right? And so when you think about what the things that we want to have, we want people want to be in homes that are loving and stable. And the, the idea that you grow up in a home is not just kind of an American construct or a Western construct. It's a biblical construct. It's as if God is saying, look, one day you will all be home with me in heaven. And, you know, we're coming up on the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas where many people will be going over the river and through the woods, as it, the old song used to say to someone's familial home where they'll engage in a holiday. Uh, I know this will be the first year for our family that we've got kids in the immediate family, uh, some in Dallas area, some in Houston area, that will be making the trek to California. It's been in the past, oh, you're in this, you're in Corona, we're in Mission Viejo, you know, whatever, we've got to make the jaunt that way. But now it's going to be a concentrated effort to get them to be here or us to be there so we can celebrate as a family. And that it'll be much more meaningful, much more special. All of a sudden, nobody gets to sit around and go, we're going to argue over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, whatever. It's like, hey, if you're in town on the 28th, come on over. Let's have, we'll have Christmas that day, you know? But it's interesting how, you know, we think about where the world is and we think about the influence of the body of Christ. I've seen this meme circulating around uh, recently that says, um, quite frankly, from what I'm hearing in the pulpit, um, if this is the Jesus that's being preached by pastors, this kind of Western, uh, you know, laid back, uh, willy nilly Jesus, quite frankly, that Jesus would never have been crucified, never would have been arrested, never would have been thought to have been a threat. So we have both of these ideas being held in, in our minds, uh, side by side. The one idea that says we have a biblical worldview that says home and family are important, that God's our Heavenly Father, that we are His adopted children, and, and that the family should be protected, that sanctity of human life should be protected, all these things that we fight for politically. But then if you get into the culture, if you stay with the focus of social media that is driving the thought processes of a lot of younger people, you would think that they were all under attack, they're all under this major stress load. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, with Jessica Peck, the nurse practitioner who's written a book on how bad it's gotten for young people, Generation Z, and how in the same culture, even kids who identify as Christian are still kind of taken in the teeth with regard to how challenging the culture is because they see their values being challenged at every turn. George Barnard research says, look, 80% of Americans, four out of, you got together at a block party gathering for Christmas, for example. Well, maybe not outdoors, but indoors. And there were 10 families represented at that gathering. Eight of the 10 families want essentially the same thing. Some of them may be Christians, some of them not be terribly religious, but deep down we were created with that desire to belong to a family. I think it's the reason why you see people who get involved in drug and alcohol abuse. They, well, that felt like family to me. Or somebody goes into a gang. Well, that felt like family to me. Well, the reason you are drawn to a family is not to protect yourself on the street. It's because in your heart's desire, if you're made in the image of God, you have the desire to be part of a family, to be part of that fellowship. And the more we let the media dictate how we're going to take the information we get and then process it, the more you're going to see that evil will abound. It doesn't take a lot of people 
It just takes the right people in the right place. And one of the things that Bob and, and Neil and I discovered was we have a lot of the same measures on the ballot that are all evil. <laughs> and we have to vote against them, like Prop 1 here, Proposal 3 in Michigan, the list goes on. So as you listen to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, the half-hour terrestrial version, that is the last half-hour of the Thursday edition of the Bottom Line Show, know that there is a full-hour broadcast available at uh, CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can watch the full video of uh, each of us uh, with our GoPros and Josh, our, uh, Josh Myers, our engineer, mixes all that together. But we're having that conversation about the fact that you could see the yin-yang, push-pull, whatever you want to call it, of the desires of the heart, marriage, family, home life, protecting our kids and, you know, making a better society, really at odds with the idea that so many people have is that I want what I want, but nobody else wants it and everybody's out to get me and they're all wrong. Let me give you an idea. There's a, a media outlet in Great Britain called Channel 4. And Channel 4 is pretty progressive, they would call themselves, left-leaning, as it were. They did a survey of about 1,500 people from the ages of 13 to 24. And then they also did one where they had, you know, people who are over the age of 24. So they had these two different cohorts here. Fascinating study. It's coming from the UK, of course, where, you know, everything is so progressive. And progressive is always good. If Just ask a progressive. They'll tell you. Everything that's good, it's progress. You see, that, I saw a meme uh, earlier this week. Uh, it was a, a guy that I know professionally, and he's pretty wild liberal. Thinks that everything conservative is bad. All conservatives want to do is kill good ideas, and there's no such thing as progress. It showed a group of people in this arena, and all of them had uh, on their head, they were wearing a headpiece that indicated they were candles. It's a cartoon, right? So they're all candles, and their candles are lit, and they're sitting around, and in walks a guy, and his head is an, is an light bulb, electric light bulb. And he's being led in by another person, and they're literally going to execute him in this cartoon. And the caption says, this is the best definition of conservatives I've ever seen. And I thought to myself, how sad is that? That somebody would think that a conservative is anti-progress that a conservative's anti-beneficial. Why do they think that? Well, because maybe that's what they're told. This Channel Z uh, report, the survey of about 1,500 people, says that Generation Z, ages 13 to 24, are more likely to believe that people should be canceled for their views, and they held less acceptance of different opinions than older generations. As a matter of fact, the chief executive of Channel 4, a guy called Alex Mann, gave a speech where he was re recanting or reca uh, recalling some of the, uh, the, the, the findings of the survey. And he said, I, I believe what we should call this the young illiberal progressives or YIPs. I said, Alex is a woman, excuse me, she said. These are progressive people in that they support the freedoms won by earlier generations who changed social attitudes toward issues like sexuality and equality. Indeed, they are significantly more progressive than their parents and even millennials on some issues. But, and this is a very big but, young people could be said to be less liberal because they're less tolerant of the views of others than their parents and grandparents. A quarter of Generation Z, according to this UK study, say that they have, quote, very little tolerance for people with beliefs that they disagree with. 
They don't believe in unrestrained free speech. Nearly half agree that some people deserve to be canceled. 48% of Generation Z respondents say there are only two genders. 50% of over 25 responders believe that social media is the top cause of stress, but only 35% of the under 25s agreed with that statement. So here you have it, brothers and sisters. We've got a generation of young people who honestly believes that they, I mean, they're far more accepting of other people and their ideas and at least theoretically. But if someone dares to disagree with them, well, (laughs) you should be canceled at all costs. What do you do? with people with that kind of mindset. Well, today here during this first hour, we're going to focus on that very issue. How do we deal with those who are trying to live the world in a digital age? And how is it that we can be Christ followers when this is the opinion of so many young people? Uh, Jason Thacker is going to join me on the other side of this break for this conversation. Jason is the chair of research and technology ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He is a graduate of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, Bachelor of Arts in Communications, has a Master's in Divinity from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and is currently pursuing a Ph.D. in Ethics and Public Theology. He's written a book called Jesus, Following Jesus in the Digital Age, and it's going to be a great conversation to find out how can Generation Z be so accepting of all other ideologies personally, but then so condemning of other people who don't agree with them on the whole. That and many other mysteries to be revealed in the next half hour as the bottom line continues. When a young mother hears her baby's heartbeat for the first time, everything changes. They know that's a baby. And when you partner with us and Preborn, you let them see the ultrasound image and God takes care of the rest. Roger Marsh here for Preborn, our newest member of the Bottom Line Show family. Preborn is helping women by helping them see their child on the ultrasound, hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time after getting that pregnancy test, and you'd be amazed at the results. So far for the first half of this year, more than 25,000 babies have been saved through Preborn, and 25 ultrasound machines have been placed. Now it costs $28 to provide a free ultrasound for a woman who who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do with the child. We tell her what option number three is in addition to option one and two. Option one, of course, you're a mom. Option two, legally, you can get abortion in some states. But option number three is adoption, and the ultrasound makes option number one or three much more palatable. Call 833-850-BABY right now. Make a $28 donation to save one life. Make a $28 a month donation to save a life each and every month. That's less than a dollar a day. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or click the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com today. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take on a challenge that has been something that has been kind of an anomaly for some people. It's the reality for others, too. The idea that technology has kind of taken over everything. And in some regards, it is wonderful to have technology that makes it easier to adjust the temperature in your thermostat at home or raise and lower a window or a garage door opener. At the same time, though, we saw during the pandemic that sometimes 
technological issues kind of became a replacement for other things that I think God wants us to, uh, you know, have in-person conversations about. So how do we follow Jesus in the digital age? Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Jason Thacker, who serves as the Chair of Research and Technology Ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's the author of a brand new book called Following Jesus in the Digital Age, which we have a link for the uh, book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason Thacker, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me, Roger. Looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. I want to call you Dr. Thacker, but we're still a little ways away from that. Is that correct? A little bit, yeah. yeah. So I'm finishing up the program right now. Okay, very good. Do you have an estimated date of completion so we can pray it's for you? It's probably going to be uh, in early 24. So I'm going to okay. spend most of 23 writing my next big major project, and then hopefully I'll walk in January or in May of 24. Fantastic. Well, we will be cheering you on, and I know as the uh, proud dad of a young lady who hopes to be walking next spring, uh, it's an arduous process, and uh, we'll be praying for you and your family during this whole time. Thank you very much. I know, especially when you get down to dissertation time. Hey, let's talk about following Jesus in a digital age. I mean, we are technology isn't all bad, but it's not all good. Um, talk about where you began in terms of saying, how do we, you know, where do we start with this? Because for some of your readers, I'm sure technology has been the norm ever since they came mm -hmm. out of the womb. And for others like me, I'm not a digital native, so I've had to learn a lot of stuff. And I kind of sometimes feel like I'm on the short end of the uh, equation here. Yeah, a lot of it came down to me was uh, we have two sons, my wife and I, we have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And a few years ago, I was sitting in the living room and I was playing with my son. I, I had started to be a little convicted about my use of my phone around my family. Mm -hmm. um, and so I tried to put it in the other room. And one of the things that happened just kind of striking, and I don't know if my son did it on purpose or not, uh, but he went into the other room while we were playing, grabbed my phone and brought it to me and said, Daddy, you need this. And it kind of hit me, and I'd already kind of been thinking about my digital use and how I use these technologies, especially social media, around family and around other people. Um, but it wasn't until that moment that the Lord used that, whether he realized it or not what he was doing, the Lord used it to convict me and realize that I had been kind of overly dependent on my phone. So a lot of what my children were seeing were me looking at my phone rather than interacting with them and my wife and family and neighbors and community around me. And so that's where it kind of hit me. And it wasn't just that I need to use these devices better. There was something about technology that I'm constantly kind of drawn to it. It could be for listeners right now, even they feel drawn to their device. They feel like I need to check that email or something going on. And I was saying, what's going on here? Is technology a good thing that we use in bad ways? Or is it really a bad thing that we can redeem and use in some good ways? Right. Or is it something wholly different? And that's really where I came down to. And what I focused the book on is the concept that technology is much more than just a tool. It's actually something that's deeply forming us and shaping us now be it even discipling us in many ways. And it's time I think Christians take that seriously to say, what is the formative nature of technology and how is it forming us? Is it making us more like the world as we read about in Romans 12 too, mm -hmm. or is it making us more like Christ and being transformed and sanctified in the image of Christ? And that's really what I try to focus the book on is the nature of technology, how it's forming and shaping us. And in what ways particular is it shaping us? And that's all through the lens of wisdom and how we can hopefully follow Jesus better in the digital age. Jason Thacker, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Following Jesus in a Digital Age, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a fascinating concept, Jason, the, the idea that this isn't affecting some people and not affecting others. It's affecting all of us because yeah. of the, uh, uh, the proliferation of uh, the mobile devices. I know uh, one of the uh, major ministries that uh, runs their ministry programs here on bottom line show stations is through the Bible. And my friend, Greg Harris is the 
president and CEO there says, hey, look, I mean, people think of through the Bible as J. Vernon McGee on real-to-real tapes, maybe analog cassettes, but they don't realize how digitized we've become because we know that 83% of the world's population has a smartphone. I'm holding up yeah. mine right here. This is my stopwatch. Uh, my wife also has a nickname for my phone. She calls it my mistress. Uh, mm -hmm. which uh, which hurts <laughs> it stings but she's right in the same way that your son kind of came to you innocently and said daddy you know we can't be us together unless you're holding on to that um let's talk about that discipleship i mean how how do you begin to recognize how you're formed i mean is there are, were you looking for a way to we can kind of have a checklist of four or five things or mm -hmm. is it more on the macro level where we look at how society has been reshaped especially in the church I think a lot of it comes down to a macro. I think it's it's natural and normal for us to look at technology and see if we see it simply as a tool, then maybe I can have a checklist. Maybe here are four or five steps that we can take to kind of write our relationship with technology. And I think those can be good things, but they kind of miss the underlying problem. They're the merely the symptoms of this larger problem that we're dealing with with technology. And that's what I try to uncover in the book is what's actually going on here. It always comes back to Romans 12, 2 that I mentioned earlier. Are we being conformed to this world? or yep. being, having our minds transformed by the renewal uh, through the power of the spirit. And that's what Paul's talking. He's assuming you are being conformed to this world. You know, do not be. He's not saying, you know, you shouldn't be. He's saying do not be in the sense that you already are. You are being conformed to this world. And I think one of the primary ways that we, not only as Christians, but really as our full our whole society are being shaped and formed is through our use of technology. It's shaping our pursuit of how we understand the nature of truth, we live in a really interesting time where it's about my truth, my reality, my body, my choice. It's all about me, me, me. And social media kind of feeds that. It's not that it created it per se, but it's actually kind of feeding it where we think the whole world revolves around us and what we right. want and our truth. Mm -hmm. We see that in terms of responsibility about how we use these tools. We tend to blame the technology companies fully for it, or we blame the government for not doing more. And while we need to have those conversations and we should, we also have to look at the ways we're using these technologies. We are moral agents. We are uh, God's image bearers. We are responsible for the ways we use them. And it also is changing our understanding of community. We live in incredibly polarized and kind of uh, tension-filled times where it's always us versus them. Right. And technology is, again, fueling that. It didn't create it. These are problems that have always existed, but technology is exacerbating it. It's fueling it and making these things seem a lot worse than maybe they really are, or it's actually just making them a lot worse. And so one of the things that we can do as Christians is we step back, we can slow down in an age that wants us to go faster, 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 to have everything more convenient more efficient, slow down to ask some of these hard questions about how technology is shaping me. And reality is it's shaping our view of God. It's shaping our view of ourselves and how we interact in this world, as well as the people around us and the world around us. It's shaping how we understand the nature of truth. And so if we slow down to ask some of those hard questions in light of the wisdom tradition that we see throughout the scripture, it's almost at times like the book of Proverbs and the book of James were written for the age of social media mm. when you go to read them. Yeah. Uh, but that's really what I try to do in the booking and expose some of these kind of macro ways that technology is forming and shaping us so that we can then get to some of the practical steps of what do we do about it. I'm talking with Jason Thacker today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of a fascinating new book that is a must read for anyone, I think, in any season of life, any level of spiritual maturity, no matter how old or young you are, following Jesus in the digital age will help you understand uh, some of the hows and whys, I mean, some of the craziness that's happening in the culture, and you begin to say, well, it didn't used to be like that 10 years ago. It didn't used to be that 20 years ago. Jason, I know my wife and I are uh, 
we're the parents of six in our blended family uh, that are all millennials or Generation Z. And there are t there is no week that goes by that we don't have a conversation or get a text or something like that from one of the kids. And we'll then kind of regroup with the two of us and say, man, I can't believe they have to deal with that. Or I, I'm surprised they process that like that because, well, we didn't do that when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's more than just a generational gap. I mean, you're saying that the, the technology, the digital world has really, and I love the way you lay the book out, uh, pursuing wisdom in a digital age, pursuing truth in a post-truth age, uh, pursuing responsibility in a curated age, and pursuing identity in a polarized age. Those are great topics, and we're coming up on a break. So rather than say, hey, can you take us through those in the next mm -hmm. 35 seconds? Why don't we take a breather here? And when we come back, we'll take a look at a couple of these and, and see how we can begin to reformulate our thinking to understand what has been happening to us, how we're being discipled, and then how we can use this technology for good, uh, knowing that we're being basically transformed by the world. Not that we want to, but that's what happens when you're in the world and not of it. Uh, Jason Thacker is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Following Jesus in the Digital Age. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of our conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth that work for your life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had $450,000 in the bank. I told him, is he really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months? You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, how much? I said, well, how about between twenty and 30000 He says, zero versus twenty or 30000 Yeah, he says, I like the twenty or 30000 Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Jason Thacker with me today here on the program. And man, what an eye-opening expose he has written for us. It's a book called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. In an era where we've been told technology would make our life easier, they would make things more convenient, why is it that technology really has made things more complicated and confusing? And as Christians, how does our faith speak into the pressing issues of life against the backdrop of a digital age. And that report I was sharing with you earlier about the number of Generation Z uh, respondents to a survey in Great Britain who said that they themselves are very tolerant and open with regard to other ideologies. But if someone disagrees with them, they believe that person's speech should be curtailed, if not canceled altogether. Jason Thacker's book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book to give away. I'd love to put it in your hands right now. Uh, give Teresa or Crystal a call right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Jason Thacker, simply called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. And the number to get through for your copy. We have one to give away. It's 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Wait, what's that? Uh, Tamara's tapping on the window. I actually have three copies of that book to give away. So call in now and get in line to get yours. More of my conversation with Jason Thacker in just a moment as the bottom line continues. 
Don't overpay on interest and fees by going with the wrong lender. Newport Bay Mortgage won't charge you points on your reverse mortgage wherever it is possible for them to do so. You will have peace of mind with the possibility of having additional cash to draw from to pay for unexpected expenses. Owner Cliff and his team do what they can to maximize the amount of cash available to you while minimizing the cost of closing. The result of having another stream of income relieves stress that you didn't even know was there. You'll save thousands by working with Newport Bay Mortgage because they avoid charging you points and they will never tack on unnecessary fees. When considering ways to relieve financial stress in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. Contact Cliff today. Call 714-741-8080, 714-741-8080, NMLS 332-559. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Jason Thacker is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Jason is the author of a great new book called Following Jesus in the Digital Age. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason serves as the chair of research and technology ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at Southern Baptist Convention, the ERLC. And we've got uh, more information on that up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. How did you get into that? I mean, you're currently pursuing your doctorate in ethics and public theology. Uh, how, what, what was the draw for you other than did you draw the short short straw at ELRC and this is you wound up in this position how'd that work out for you Jason yeah it wasn't ever something I really planned honestly I grew up surrounded by technology I'm a little old to say that uh, but my dad worked for a fortune 500 tech company uh, throughout most of my childhood and so I was always exposed to technology and computers we had the internet before almost anybody else had the internet was very used to these things growing up um, in the same respect I became a believer when I was 18 um, I went on to seminary feeling called into the ministry and kind of landed by God's providence here at the ERLC. And as I was reading a book uh, written by a secular author, just kind of talking about the nature of technology and kind of where we're heading, I started to think, how do I navigate and think about these things as a Christian? And that really kind of put me on this path of studying technology, but particularly in light of the of Christian ethics about the Christian worldview and the Christian faith. And that's really kind of what set me on this path of saying, how do we think about technology? Because even just a few years ago, there weren't as many Christians thinking about these things. Right. And this is something that is deeply embedded in our culture and is deeply shaping and forming us. And it's something I think it's it's wise and a high time for Christians to kind of step into these conversations uh, because this is in many ways technology become one of the primary disciplers of Christians and of the church itself, uh, even more so than even pastors and ministry leaders want to admit or realize is that these tools are with us all the time, 24-7. We wake yeah. up with them in our hand. We go to bed with them next to us. We use them as our alarm clock. Our phones are always probably about a foot or so from us at all times. Mm -hmm. And we're naturally drawn to these devices. And that's what I really try to uncover in the book is what's going on here. You know, it's interesting, uh, Jason, when you look at the culture and the way the culture has kind of shifted. I mean, we refer to these mobile devices as a quote unquote smartphone. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that that may have been because the phone can do more than I think some of our laptop computers could do in terms of processing data and things of that nature. But at the same time, there's a false sense of security that a lot of people, especially outside the church, have developed in thinking, well, I have a smartphone, so therefore I'm smart, or I have intelligence, or I have wisdom. And it's tough when you think about how many people now have kind of boxed themselves into a corner by saying, well, I, I, I use Oprah Winfrey, but I'm sure a lot of other people have used the example of someone saying, well, you speak your truth. Mm. And one of the things that you address in the book, Following Jesus in the Digital Age, is pursuing truth in a post-truth age. Talk about what you mean by that, 
how does kind of give us an example of what the interweb does in terms of shaping that and how we're being impacted by it here in the church? Yeah, I think when we talk about a kind of a post-truth age, it's really easy to kind of understand that in some ways, because throughout our culture, we see this kind of constant message of you live your truth, your reality. It's all about what you believe. It's, right. I don't want to impose my beliefs on other people. I want everyone to kind of live their truth. And in some sense, that makes uh, kind of makes sense. But in other ways, it's completely kind of against what the scriptures talk about, how we have a transcendent truth, the truth that's coming from God himself, and that we're all to order our lives around. But in terms of technology, it's really interesting because we are inundated or kind of overwhelmed with information, um, whether it's on social media feeds, email newsletters, all sorts of things. We have breaking news alerts all the time. We are just kind of overwhelmed with the sheer amount of information. And as you kind of alluded to earlier, just because you have a lot of information doesn't make you wise. And I think most of us understand that just having knowledge is not just having knowledge, just putting that knowledge into action and actually right. living out those things. And one of the really interesting aspects of this debate with technology, as we start to think about the rise of things like conspiracy theories or misinformation, disinformation, or fake news. And some listeners, when you say that, immediately kind of conjure up a lot of political undertones or kind of social right. and us versus them mentality. But reality is we're all prone to it. This has happened to me. I would assume it's happened to many listeners where you've been duped by fake news. You thought mm -hmm. something was true and it wasn't. Well, part of that is because we're overwhelmed with information. We simply don't know how to process it. And a lot of times the information that we see is not just the information. It's not just the people we follow online or just the people that we touch base with. We're seeing these kind of curated algorithms that are coming in and shaping the news that we see. It's shaping the things that we're exposed to. And that can ultimately shape our, our understanding of reality around us, where we start to think the whole world is about me, me, me. Mm -hmm. But a Christian worldview actually says it's a, it's a God-centered worldview. It's something outside of us that we're to align our lives around rather than us kind of coming in and shaping things to our liking the way we want it. And so this happens on the left. This happens on the right. This happens to all of us because of the society in which we live. Because of what technology is, it's shaping and it's forming us in very particular ways and sometimes very subtly where we don't even realize what's going on, where we just see something online and we assume it to be true as long as it kind of fits with our agenda or fits with some search social beliefs. So that doesn't mean that we sacrifice truth, but it does mean that we do the hard work to make sure the things that we share online are true, that we actually read the articles that we engage with instead of just sharing things because it has the right headline example. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that act, idea of slowing down can cause us to think wiser, uh, to think biblically about how do we navigate a lot of the challenges before us because truth matters. We follow the way, the truth, and the life, and the person and mm -hmm. work of Jesus Christ, and truth matters. So we have to reorient our lives around that to make this less me-centered and make it more God-focused and God-centered. Boy, that's powerful insight from Jason Thacker today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, and we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, you, you mentioned the whole thing about, you know, me, 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 and the guy I centered, and I was reading a, a really interesting thread uh, earlier today on YouTube, of all places, about a guy who's an independent artist who made a name for himself by literally borrowing and buying the rights to a song that some uh, someone else made famous and then he did his own version of it as an homage to this guy and wound up getting 16 million views and a record deal and all sorts of stuff like that oh, wow. but, it, but it's that whole user create generated content has become the way in entertainment and unfortunately it seems to become the way in morals and ethics and wisdom and truth too to a lot of people so we who follow the way the truth and the life have to be mindful that that's out there it doesn't mean that we you know have to just 
cater to it, but uh, we, we, we will stand firm against a crumbling culture. How do we uh, pursue responsibility in a, what you call a curated age? I mean, what do you mean by curated and, uh, and how is that impacting us too? I'm sure that's a term that some of our listeners might not be familiar with in terms of the way you're applying it here. Yeah, I think often when we think of social media, for example, we look at our feeds, whether it's on Twitter, or Instagram, Facebook, or what have you, we often think that the things that we see, the news updates or the articles or what have you, or are the things that our friends share are just what people are sharing and the people we follow. But most of us have had an experience of going, I don't think I follow that that group, or I don't think I follow that organization, or how did I see this article? I'm not really sure why I saw that. Well, behind the scenes, it's not just a listing of things as they happen. They're actually being curated or they're being personalized for you. Everything about this idea of an algorithm or smartphones or uh, AI or artificial intelligence, especially in terms of communication information, is that these things are kind of formulated for you, meaning that your Facebook feed much may look very different from my Facebook feed, even if we follow the same people and right. have very similar interests. We're in different age brackets or we have different interests or we're in different places. So you have this kind of curation or this personalization that happens to the information we receive. And in some sense, that can be good. It can expose us to good things. It can expose us to new things that we haven't been aware of before, but it also can kind of put us in these, these boxes and kind of push us down these rabbit holes in many ways where we only see things that we agree with. We don't see other kind of perspectives. We don't realize that there's actually more going on unless we think that the things that we see online are just all true. You know, it can be a, a, a kind of a weirdly written headline. It can to draw us in or a picture that seems really bombastic and kind of over the top. It can be a uh, clickbait. It can be information that's intentionally misleading and kind of covering over the truth. Right. And so you can start to see how all of these issues kind of flow together and the way the speed at which we intake information online causes us to kind of lower our defenses and to start kind of trust other people or say, you know what, I don't trust this organization or this news outlet, but my friend over here, that's a really interesting theory about what's going on. And so in many ways, we have to be, instead of just saying, well, this is the technology company's fault, they're doing this, or our government needs to come in and do more work here. And all of those things are true in many ways, and we need to have those debates and those discussions. We also have to take responsibility. Yeah. We have to realize that we do make decisions. We're not powerless pawns in this kind of scheme of technology. While technology is forming us and shaping us in particular ways, we also have agency. We have responsibility. The, the things we follow, the things we do to slow down, to ask questions, to seek wisdom, uh, not to share things if you know we haven't read them before or not to – not. and I always had – I have a friend that says it pretty bluntly. He says, you know, the internet doesn't deserve your opinion on everything. Mm. We live in this idea. <laughs> in this age that we have to comment on everything that's right, happening as if right. we're experts or we know what's going on. And that's part of that idea of taking responsibility is to say, look, there's a whole world out here of this curated content, personalized, all about me, 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 and kind of my post, my my environment, my timeline, et cetera. And to slow down, to ask some of those hard questions and understand what technology is doing so that we might pursue wisdom as we seek to follow Jesus. Mm, boy, that's great insight and uh, a great way for us to wrap up our conversation. Jason Thacker with me today here on The Bottom Line. Following Jesus in a Digital Age is the book. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason, 60 seconds left in our time together. How do you recommend we as Christians move forward in this digital age now that we are, I mean, the ultimate goal here is we're following the Lord and we're going into all the world and preaching the gospel. How do we use the technology for the betterment of the Great Commission rather than to the detriment of the church? 
Yeah, I think two things I would say. One is slowing down. We've talked a lot about about that. But technology wants us to go faster, faster, faster. And wisdom actually is kind of a slow burn. It takes a long time. And the bad habits we formed weren't formed overnight. And the good habits that we should be forming won't be formed overnight either. So slowing down, asking some of those hard questions is kind of the big first step. And also not to grow fearful or kind of feel like we're kind of moving into some dystopian future. The end of the story is already written as Christians. We already know that Jesus is reigning. He's sitting on the throne. Nothing is going to change that. So our hope is placed in him, not in kind of the temporal battles of the day or questions. So when we engage culture from a place of hope, that actually changes our entire perspective of the questions before us. We have real challenges before us. We need to face this. We need to be wise. We need to seek truth and seek to honor God above all, to love God and love our neighbors ourselves, as Jesus himself told us. But we do that from a place of hope, um, not a place of fear, not a place of anxiety and being overwhelmed about the challenges before us, but locked in and knowing that Jesus is Lord. He's sitting on the throne. Nothing is going to change that. And so from that place of hope, we can engage a lot of the challenges challenging issues of our day, especially in relation to technology. I love that. I love that. Jason Thacker, the chair of research and technology ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at Southern Baptist Convention, author of the brand new book called Following Jesus in the Digital Age, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason, great to get to meet you. Congratulations on the book and uh, best of success in your studies. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, be reading your dissertation here on the Bottom Line Show in another year or so. But thanks for being with us today here on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Roger. Great conversation today with Jason Thacker here on The Bottom Line Show. The book is called Following Jesus in the Digital Age, and we have not one, not two, but three copies to give away. Uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. This is an excellent book, especially if you are what we would call a data, uh, uh, excuse me, a digital, uh, non-digital native. I mean, there are people who... Are if you're younger, you uh, grew up with the internet always in your home, and yet if you did not, and you kind of had to learn this as a second language, then how do you pursue wisdom in a digital age? How do you pursue truth in a post-truth age? How do you pursue responsibility in a curated age and pursue identity in a polarized age? Those are issues that are asked and addressed by Jason Thacker in his brand new book called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. We have a copy up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have three copies to give away right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, when it comes to living in the culture right now and looking at the digital technology that is available, sometimes we ask the question, is it really helpful? On the other side of this break, I want to share yet another story of the historical accuracy of the Old Testament being solved with new data techniques. That's right, new technology, digital age, and we're going to prove the Old Testament to be true yet again. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Jason Thacker, soon to be Dr. Jason Thacker, for having a conversation with us about following Jesus in a digital age. We've got three copies of his book to give away. I'd love to give one to you. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And as we shared at the beginning of the hour, it's important to understand following Jesus in the digital age for a couple of reasons. First of all, sheer numbers. There are more millennials and Generation Z in our nation, the United States of America today, than any other demographic. That's right, baby boomers. Guess what? 
<laughs> I mean, technically I am, but I'm on the cusp, right? When you're born in 1961 and the baby boom ends officially in 64, I'm literally picking up sloppy seconds at that point. So I always identify more with Generation X than with the baby boom. But one of the reasons the baby boomers have always kind of had this attitude of entitlement is, quite frankly, for what had nothing to do with you. I'm sorry to break it to you. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with the fact there are, there are so many baby boomers in the culture. And as baby boomers are retiring, and in some cases, hopefully as Christians moving on to heaven, uh, as they're just leaving the earth, there are more millennials and Generation Z now than ever before. And quite frankly, I say this with no disrespect intended to my millennial producer or my millennial engineer here or my mm, Gen X uh, marketing director here at the Bottom Line Show. Um, the reality is millennials and Generation Z typically have been isolated more from pain and tough circumstances. And they've been led to believe based on the Internet that there is more pain and suffering in the world than they can actually bear. Now, I have to admit, I loved being a high school student, even a college student, and the only media exposure I had was me turning on the radio, listening to a station like K-Bride. As a matter of fact, I grew up in Southern California. That's our flagship affiliate for those on the network. I grew up in Southern California, and KBRT AM 740 was one of my go-tos. I mean, along with KYMS 106.3 with music and, and uh, the secular stations too and sports and whatever. But you could pretty much program yourself to have one media input at a time. I can remember spending hours in my bedroom at home, sitting at my desk, doing homework for high school or college with a turntable, classical music on, and that was it. You didn't have all these distractions telling you how bad the world was. You got just enough headline, just enough news to know what was going on. So, I mean, I get it right now why Generation Z is less than optimistic, but it's interesting to me that they have more information. They should know better in terms of being educated. And yet the wisdom just isn't there because when someone brings an opposing view, the re default position of study after study says that Generation Z says, well, you need to be quiet. You need to be canceled. You need to be, you need to shut up. And that being the case, well, then you get back to Jason Thacker's book about following Jesus in a digital age. And you ask the question, how do I pursue wisdom when there's so much in the internet right now and on the internet that isn't true? Either it's malicious or it's just irresponsible. How do you pursue truth in a post-truth age? Boy, that's a great question. And that's not just for millennials or Gen Z. That's for every generation walking the earth right now. We live in a post-truth age. And you can tell it's a post-truth age based on the number of people who say, well, this is my truth. And you have to understand my truth or you should be canceled. Instead of saying there is the truth, you see the, the despair. It's not so much an arrogance as an ignorance. They really have given up on the fact that the concept of actual absolute truth. How do you pursue responsibility in a curated age? Curated simply just meaning, hey, I'm taking all the bits and pieces that, of life that I want that I think are good, and that's my worldview. I'm going to take all the news reports that give me the information I want, and that's my web page. That's my uh, visual. That, that's where I get my news of the world. Don't come at me with this truth of God stuff. And then how do you pursue identity in an age that is so polarizing? Oh, you're one of them. Well, we don't have any time for you. I mean, it, it is somewhat ironic and somewhat tragic all at the same time that we even have to have those conversations. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to go into all the world and preach the good news, 
we have to, if we're going to follow Jesus in the digital age, we have to take these principles and these questions to heart. Jason Thacker lays them out for us perfectly in his book called Following Jesus in the Digital Age. I've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as I mentioned earlier, three copies of the book to give away right now. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, as we continue, I mentioned following Jesus in the digital age can be a challenge, but it's also kind of cool too. What happens when you come across something that is of a certain age from a certain era and it could confirm some biblical history, but you really, I mean, you're just looking at an old rock or an old you know, parchment or something like that. How do scientists come to the conclusion that some of the things that we've read about in scripture are actually validatable and that we have the tools and the technology to do the validation? We're gonna take a look at one such discovery coming up next as the bottom line continues. When you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Cover puts her client's total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Cover used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. Teresa and Crystal on the phones today. Jason Thacker's book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Hey, by the way, uh, when you go to thebottomlineshow.com as well, make sure you click on the banner for Preborn. We've had tremendous success over the past month making you aware of what the Ministry of Preborn actually does. At which is basically, it's all about ultrasound. Show a woman who is expecting a child, we'll give her a free pregnancy test, Planned Parenthood charges you for that. Ask for an ultrasound where she can see the ultrasound images and listen to the baby's heartbeat. No abortion clinic in America will do that for you. I know that's a gross generalization and there may be a one or two that actually do, but by and large, abortion industries don't want you to see the child in the womb. Why? Because you'll say, that's a baby. Not that's a clump of cells or that's a those are my political rights or that's reproductive justice in there. That is your son or grandson or well, if you're the grandparents watching or your daughter or granddaughter or twins. I mean, you never can tell until you see the ultrasound. Eighty three percent of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see the ultrasound and hear the heartbeat decide this child is going to be raised in my family, or I'm going to take this child to term and then release the kid for an adoption. There are thousands of families nationwide look to be adoptive parents. It only takes a $28 donation. I, I saw there's a leading Christian organization right now that says, we're trying to do ultrasound research. Give a gift of $60 for one ultrasound. I'm like, what, $60? It's $28 with preborn. It's $140 for five. It's $280 for 10. It's $2,800 for 100. 
833-850-BABY is the number to call. And if you have been blessed tremendously or you have the means and would like to make a one-time donation of $15,000, that provides an ultrasound machine that is capable of doing 250 ultrasounds per year and has a lifespan of at least 10 years. All the donations are completely tax deductible, by the way. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com, or as I mentioned, go to thebottomlineshow.com. Click on the banner for Preborn, and you can make a donation there. And if you use a credit card that you regularly use online, and you can take advantage of autofill, you can fill that thing out in 28 seconds or less. Okay. New technology, your gift, just saved a baby's life. By the way, Crawford Broadcasting, we've been doing this at WMUZ, uh, National Crawford Roundtable. Now we're on with Bottom Line Show. Do you know how many babies we've saved this year? We have. I mean, they're going to talk about how preborn has saved 60 or 70,000 babies this year. Crawford Broadcasting, as of right now, has helped to save 6,930 babies through the preborn campaign. Pretty cool. Scientists are using new technology, just as we have technology that shows uh, OBGYN doctors what they could do to help save a baby's life or guarantee to mom and dad that the child is coming along nicely. In a study published last Tuesday at the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, scientists are now using new technology that they say could allow them to properly date several military conquests actually depicted in the Bible. And if they do so, that would validate the scripture's historical authenticity. Hebrew University and Tel Aviv University have 20 researchers that worked on this from different countries all over the world. The study purports that research accurately dated 21 destruction layers at 17 different archaeological sites in, uh, in Israel. In the study, they introduced what they call an approach that applies to archaeomagnetic investigation to the remains of ancient towns that were destroyed by fire. The new approach enables researchers to examine chronicle, uh, chronological insights rather, that will allow them to link archaeological contexts with Old Testament accounts of military campaigns against the kingdoms of Israel and also Judah. <laughs> How many more? Uh, for example, um, if you look at the destruction of uh, the uh, Gath, the Philistine state, 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 18, there's a finding that they have right now of King Hazael and the Aram Damascus army that was responsible for that destruction. The team believes that the findings refuted the theory that it was actually Hazael that conquered Tel Beth Sheen. And with the digital technology, this is what you get. So brothers and sisters, yet again, following Jesus in the digital age can be challenging depending on the people who are using the technology. But there is technologic, uh, there are technological advances rather that make it a lot not only easier but a lot more rewarding to actually use the technology to confirm what God's known all along, but our brothers and sisters have known for thousands of years. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. For those who remain on the network, coming up next, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Bob Duco, Neil Boron, and yours truly talking about election. Previews coming up next as the bottom line continues.